You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Moore, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing today? Hey, Robert. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing today? I'm uh, I'm doing I'm doing well. I it's been a, a good week. There are lots of fun <laughs> things happening, mm-hmm. and you know we've actually gotten to chat for a little bit here with a couple interviews right before this intro. So yeah. uh, it's, uh, I'm having a good time. Yeah. 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 I know we've had a handful of episodes lately where it's just been you and I, which has been so fun just, you know, to shift it a little bit and have just some episodes with just the two of us. Yeah. Um, but it is fun kind of getting a guest back on the show to to do an interview with and to hear from some other folks too. So yeah, yeah that yeah, it's been good. I love that. Yeah. Well, I know last week we talked about Thanksgiving side dishes, which I was I was joking ahead of time is like my go to like small talk question uh-huh. in Thanksgiving time. So I can't ask that again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which your answer was uh, everything except stuffing. Stuffing <laughs> anyway. Well, I was going to say, and P.S., I loved seeing all of the comments from folks in like on our Facebook group, um, mm-hmm. just about all the the sides that they love, and um, I and I was even surprised that my husband chimed in to that yeah. conversation. And clearly, for anyone who listens, he's on it. Yeah, and he said stuffing, so everyone knows yeah. like who. <laughs> Who in our family is the one who eats all the stuffing um, for Thanksgiving? That is my husband. And I am happy to offer him my serving. <laughs> so, Can you actually, if we pause this, could you run and grab him to co-host this show with me real quick instead, since we're on the same page about stuffing? I mean, I'm happy to, but I think he's running around chasing the children at the moment. Mm-hmm. So Fair enough. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I will stick with you for now. Um <laughs> I was going to ask, are y'all people who, uh, so some people just like jump straight to decorating for Christmas, but some people have like decorations for each season. So like, here's some fall ones, right? You have like a cornucopia and some, <laughs> some leaves and like pumpkins and what, like, do y'all have fall decorations? Oh my gosh. So... You know what I'm talking about, right though? You're laughing, oh, I do. You know no, I, I mean? totally, I totally do. But I am going to be very honest with you. We are lucky that we get pumpkins out on Halloween day in our home. And thankfully, we don't we we don't let them sit out long. But we are not a fall decoration family. We are yeah. a our attention is divided in a lot of ways, and our kids definitely they get a lot of that attention. And so I am all for families who have that margin to decorate. But we are a family where that is not. The thing that's happening, except for <laughs> Christmas. Christmas yeah. is the one that we will create plenty of margin for that to get decorated. Yeah. So that was in uh, maybe future tense. Have you decorated for Christmas yet? Yes, we did. So we, yeah. yeah. So we normally we have a hard like. Well, I shouldn't say we. I should say my husband. My husband is one 
of those folks who, you know, for better or for worse is like Christmas decorations do not go up until after Thanksgiving. Like you have to have Thanksgiving before Christmas decorations go up. And this year I have decided that nothing has changed since March in a million ways. And so I needed Christmas decorations to go up like two weeks ago Um, or no, last weekend. Well, two weeks ago by the time this comes out. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, so we decorated inside the house and had a blast. And hopefully this weekend we will be decorating outside of the house. So nice. Yeah. yeah. What about y'all? Do y'all do fall decorations or Christmas or what? Um, yeah, we don't really, but I can't decide. So I, I was thinking about it because I thought about this question uh, yesterday sometime. I don't know. But I was thinking, I wonder if that's just like stage of life because, uh, you know, we uh, – similarly have like a young child and mm-hmm. haven't had like years to accumulate some things so we have like you know some little tiny like we'll buy a couple tiny pumpkins and like put those around or whatever mm-hmm. and again this year was maybe a, a different thing altogether but by and large we don't have like you know our decorations kind of shift per season mm-hmm. uh, and I wonder if that I was thinking is that like a generational thing or is it like at you know by the time I'm 40 or Wow, it's actually not that long away. So now that I said that, oh, stop! Because um, it's even closer for me. <laughs> but by the time you know, like by the time my kids are in high school, like yeah, then, or, you know, like will we have accumulated those? But so not really. But we did put Christmas up already. And what's funny is we're in a similar spot where I, I mean, I would put Christmas up. Just I have I love Christmas stuff. Mm-hmm. But Brooke usually is more like let's get through Thanksgiving and whatnot, like mm-hmm. kind of you know focus on that. But this year a similar thing. She was like, look, this year we just all need whatever and I know it'll make you happy and like let's just have fun with it and so we decorated I think last week or it's I don't know time is meaningless but Mm -hmm. we decorated a little bit ago too so I've been quite enjoying it that's awesome some of our little decorations up that's awesome yeah I've definitely I've definitely been enjoying some of the the way early in advance Black Friday sales around Christmas decorations and have gotten a few extra things this year because we just need like twinkle lights all over our house right now. And yeah, yeah. that's just where we are. So we have added – I mean, they're just everywhere and I love it. I really do. It just makes yeah. – it feels homey and cozy and, you know, and at the same time, it's it's kind of strange because it almost feels too like – gosh, it almost feels like we just had these decorations up like three months ago. But yeah. I mean, I know that's not the case obviously, but – well, given yeah. that it's March 459th, right? Was a exactly. Of things, so. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, anyways, yeah. yep. Decorations are up in the Ox Handler home. Nice. Well, speaking of holidays and the holiday season, we are this week, we decided what would be good is to re air a conversation that we had last year with our friend Lanta Carroll, mm-hmm. particularly around grieving during the holiday season. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is when we decided to do that, I was thinking about it and I haven't gone back and listened to that conversation, uh, you know, obviously in, in a while. And I'm curious how much is, I think it'll all still be applicable mm-hmm. because it's just kind of like a human experience. But obviously this year, I think we're grieving a, a myriad of different ways and yeah. some of the same, obviously, like for a lot of, a lot of people the ways that we talked about grieving in terms of having lost someone are, are will be present as well. Mm-hmm. But also so much this year is grieving the loss of 
what what Christmas looks like or what holidays look like, what the people that I usually see, those relationships, those memories that I get to create or, you know, what I thought it, that I would be by this year or things like yeah. that, you know? And so I think it'll be interesting to listen back through, obviously for both of us, but then also our listeners with kind of a whole new lens of, I think we've all kind of learned how to grieve or like been forced into a space where we need to grieve in like just a, a wildly different version in 2020 throughout than maybe last year we approached it with. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree with you about all of that. I think the episode is going to be helpful in thinking about grief and uh, losing loved ones, you know, and, and that was kind of the focus of that from what I remember, that was the focus of, of that conversation when we had talked with uh, Lanta last year. But I think you're right. I think paying attention to the ways that we're grieving, you know, the rhythms, the routines, the ways that we celebrate uh, holidays and the ways that we connect with others, the illusion of, of you know, control in a lot of ways. I know I've talked about that mm. in some spaces too, that just grieving the illusion of control is really hard in and of itself too. And then, you know, paying attention to all of those layers of grief and the stages of grief that I know she talks about as well. I think those are really important for us right now, you know, and especially as we're, you know, in light of what we're seeing with the numbers with COVID and, and the surge that's rising and needing to pay much more closer attention to, you know, what do we do to keep ourselves safe, to keep loved ones safe? You know, my friend, Dr. Emily Smith has been speaking a bit more lately around, you know, really emphasizing how the, these small group gatherings are really what's causing some high degree of spread um, with COVID. And so, you know, it's just, it's hard for all of us. Grief is so, so complex, so difficult. It is not easy to move through or to navigate. And I think being reminded that grief is normal right now and that it's Mm. complex, um, I think that's really important for all of us. Yeah. While at the same time holding space for ways in which we can hopefully find some enjoyment in the holidays in some new and different ways than perhaps we have enjoyed them in the past, I think. Yeah. Um, I will note yeah. that this is not meant to be like a plug for Zoom or anything, but I did see that Zoom is offering you know, folks like it's free for folks to use Zoom all day on Thanksgiving Day this year. So they don't, they like removed that 40 minute limit that they had. So hmm. hopefully, you know, folks will lean on some of these available technology resources to, to help connect with their loved ones. Yeah. You know, if you do that, make sure you use the promo code CXM. <laughs> I love that. No, I just I just think it's good for us to be like creatively thinking about how to connect through these holidays as we also navigate the grief that's tied to this particular holiday season. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. You just give me an idea and I'm going to jot it down in terms of my intro question for the the episode that we release after Thanksgiving. So, thank you. Oh, hey, you're welcome. I'm in suspense. I'm so excited to hear what question you ha- will have next week. <laughs> It's awesome. Well, any other kind of thoughts before we transition in uh, from you, Holly? Mm, no, I think 
I mean, I know I've said this quite a bit of time, like quite a few times this um, semester, but I really, I think I want to keep echoing to our listeners um, to take good care of themselves these days to find ways to be practicing self-care. I know I had posted a couple of blog posts this week around mental health and burnout and self-care and what we're seeing right now. And so, um, you know, hopefully we can put those in the show notes, but I, I want to use those as a way to reemphasize to our listeners, like, please be taking good care of you these days. You are worth taking care of yourself. And, um, and we really do care about you deeply and want you to be caring for you. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. What about you? Any other thoughts? No, I always ask you first and you say just the most beautiful things. And then uh, I just (laughs) say, yep, I agree. All that. So I, I agree. All right. Well, we will transition in. Here is our conversation that we recorded last year about grieving during the holiday season with Lanta Carroll. Hey, we are so excited today to be joined by Lanta Carroll. Lanta is a licensed professional counselor as well as an ordained minister, currently on staff at a church here in the Atlanta area, as well as doing her counseling practice. She specializes in areas like grief and loss, spirituality, anxiety, depression, and more, as well as offering classes in mindfulness and hand lettering, which is so fun to watch like Mm. online, watch you talk about that. But Lanta, thank you for joining us today. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from all the things that I just mentioned, is there anything else that our audience should know about you just as, you know, before we kind of get into it? Oh, gosh, I'm in toddler mom life. (laughs) So I feel like that informs like every moment and every, you know, every waking hour in this season as Robert, I know you can relate to for sure. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. With our little ones in that same age bracket. Uh, Her name is Riley and she'll turn two. In February. So Mm. she uh, consumes our life in all the good and hard ways, both and, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As I mentioned, you work as a counselor and have an MDiv and work on staff at a church for 10 years now. Yes. You just mentioned to me before we started. What can I ask, like, kind of what got you into wanting to do both those things? Because a lot of times it's kind of one or the other, but, you know, you're right here at this blend where we are. Yeah. What what led you into that, that work? Gosh, you know, back in undergrad, I was doing um, the at Mercer in Macon, their major was Christianity. But, you know, in most undergrad experiences, that's the religion major. Yes. Um, (laughs) And I started minoring in psychology and it just became so fascinating to me that I stayed with all of the courses to the degree that it was like, oh, I could actually double major in this. Uh, So it's so funny. And I didn't know that I would be really inner finding that intersectionality but at the more you study both the easier it is to see where the blend is also where the nuance okay. is right and yeah. leaning into the mystery of the connection um, that lies within all of us of like how we belong to each other and the ways that our thoughts and the ways that we uh, find the mystery of God in the world around us like all of the different things that connect us. But I started off doing children's ministry and family ministry and really had a pretty sheltered life. And so there was this realization for me that I can't do children's ministry well if I don't have this mental health lens and an understanding of 
how to sit with and journey um, with families that are going through some really hard things that I hadn't experienced before. So that was kind of the pull into I really need to do like clinical mental health in addition to my seminary background. And I'm mm. so, so, so glad that I did. That's yeah, so I love good. you talking about that that intersection yeah. and that blend because I found the same thing. The more that I studied like counseling and psychology and all that, the more that I was like, how I'm how I'm seeing this is like understanding how God created people and what the you know all sorts of that overlap. And so I love that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I uh, yeah, I mean that's I mean so much of the heartbeat of this show is seeing that. So so welcome, welcome. <laughs> I think yeah. you're in good company with this. And I, and I think it's beautiful that you notice this so early on too, because I think a lot of times folks, they, they kind of start with one and they stay in that space for a long time until they realize, oh, wait, this other part of people's lives is intricately connected to this, this area that I've been working in, whether you start in ministry yeah. or in the mental health field. Eventually, I think a lot of times folks, they do begin to see this this intersection, but for you to have noticed it so, so early on, I think is amazing. So yeah, I, it, I always kind of laugh that it just fell into my lap. Even you know, um, I'll give uh, some credit to just leaning into yeah. where God was calling me. But you know, God knows what God's up to. <laughs> Let's say it that yes. way. <laughs> yeah, that's so so good. Well, I know today we especially want to be talking a little bit um, about grief and um, particularly around grief during the holiday season yeah. um, and the, all the complexity, you know, that, that comes with this, this very heavy topic during a, a very complex time of year. So I think with that, we're, you know, we, we're curious, why is it so important to be talking about the role of grief? and the grieving process, particularly during the holiday season. Yeah, absolutely. Well, grief in general is something that culture too often denies our right to do. Yes, uh, we're not, culture just doesn't accept like that there's a process of grief that exists past the funeral, right? You mm -hmm. go back to work mm -hmm. and you, you have the funeral and you move on. But of course, once we approach holiday season that has so many rituals and traditions that are so intertwined into who we are as a family and our, who we're connected to, of course, it kind of makes those memories bittersweet when you're grieving the loss of a loved one. And whether that's fresh, somebody that you lost just this year, so you're approaching the first Thanksgiving or Christmas or any other holiday ritual that you honor or practice, um, if this is the first year without them present in it, of course, that is its own weight that we're carrying differently. But every year um, looks different after you've lost someone that you've loved and journeyed through life with. Mm. And um, I think in my own personal life, I've experienced a lot of loss right before kind of the holiday season. Um, my aunt passed away from terminal liver cancer in 2012 and, you know, right as fall was approaching. And then my grandmother two years ago, uh, that same time of year. So I think personally, I've also felt this, gosh, I'm going to miss, what am I going to miss about these people in my life as we approach each holiday season? So 
you know, I think that we can all have, we all have our own unique stories in that way. Right. Yeah. But I, th- I think just the way that we honor the, the part of us that is grieving and make space for it in a world and a culture that doesn't try to give us that room. Yeah. Well, and even you talking about there not being, you know, kind of this allowance of space, I think what most of us think of, and we we did an episode on this a few years back, but about the stages of grief, right? Like that's what most people kind of pops in their brain when they think about right. grief. And so, okay, you go through exactly. this very specific process and then you should in be In order. <laughs> yeah, right. you go through mm-hmm. them all in order and then you can check it off, right? Yeah. Right. That clean and, not and at easy all. and, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, of course, it's helpful to know what those stages are, but to make room for the nuance and the realization that we're each going to grieve in our own ways plays into it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And especially during a, a season of time that we're getting into here, where there's so many kind of like, traditions and big impactful moments that you only maybe experience once a year. And so it's not like, you know, you're going about your day to day. And so you slowly kind of get used to your day to day without that person. If you've only, you know, decorated a Christmas tree once a year, and all of them have always been with someone. And now it's not, you know, it's, it's easy to imagine that that kind of comes back up every year anew. Absolutely. So what would if I'm a listener, and I am grieving someone, you know, personally, myself during these upcoming holiday seasons. I mean, what would you say in terms of navigating the next couple weeks, couple months that might be, you know, helpful? Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing is just make space to be mindful of your grief and notice if it is coming up in ways that you didn't anticipate. Of course, grief can surprise us. When we think we're done grieving, it, it pops back up. And I think holidays like we're discussing are such a time where that's so relevant. So being mindful of it so that you can actually give yourself permission to grieve, because no matter how many times you've heard the you should be over it already from people who truly mean well, it's okay if you are still grieving, no matter how long ago you lost your loved one. And I think, again, the complexity of the holidays add to that. So I don't think you should have to just cover up your emotions to channel just joy uh, because it's the holidays. So it's normal and expected for grief to be such a long process. So no, you shouldn't be over it already. Um, It's okay to to grieve and just giving yourself that open permission. Um, I think setting healthy boundaries becomes important for this too. You know, I think there's a part of us that sometimes may feel like I have to go to all of the holiday functions or I have to show up with a smile on my face and, you know, it's okay not to do those things. Mm. Um, So taking time to notice really the things that are triggering to you so that you can be informed on what boundaries you need to set, I think plays into that. Yeah, I think that's really good. Well, and I think following up on that, do you have any, you know, what, what advice would you give? I mean, just, just in terms of thinking about like how to be mindful and attuned to like what those potential, either those, those triggers or those things that might cause, um, that, that reaction, like how, you know, and being gentle and slow and through this process, I don't know, do you have any, any recommendations or ideas for folks just to kind of stay in that space and remind themselves to, to be gentle through this season? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, in mindfulness world, it's so much about like creating more and more space between like your active thought and feeling and like how much it can consume our headspace. Right. So, I mean, even if we're noticing like, okay, I'm observing that grief is coming up and it can maybe feel overwhelming right now. Okay. Let me breathe through it. Let me honor any tears that are coming up in the here and now. Like, so you might just be in the aisle at Target. Okay. (laughs) You know, like honor what you need. If you need to step out and go into the car while you're doing whatever holiday shopping, like take a breath, anything that just helps slow down the thought and create a little more distance. So you can still give yourself like space to move through that moment, but not suppressing it at the same time. And I think that's, we can so often confuse like creating space between ourselves and a thought as emotional suppression. Um, And they're not the same thing. So just honoring the part of us that needs to like take a, take a breather and really sit with whatever is coming up. And, you know, I think we can quickly go into memory mode, like, oh, I'm in the aisle at Target crying because I'm remembering the time that I was with my mom when we were shopping for whatever we were going to get for my dad. You know, little things like that that just Mm. surprise us and we're not expecting them to come. So if we can be attuned to where that emotion is coming from and knowing that it fits the facts, it's valid to feel this overwhelming sense of grief that's triggering us in that moment, even though it may not seem valid to anybody else. Hmm. If we can learn how to validate it within ourselves and know that it, it comes from a place of, of love. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I was going to ask in navigating some of the boundary things and, you know, we're talking about things that can trigger these painful memories. There's obviously some things that maybe you would say, okay, I just can't, maybe I don't, I can't do that yet. Like it's everything's still too strong. So maybe I'm not going to go do this activity. But then other things you say, this is going to be hard, but maybe it's worth going to the family dinner anyway, even though that's going to be really hard because there's people there that I want to see and we can kind of grieve together. Do you have any uh, thoughts on, you know, kind of navigating which things are maybe like, okay, kind of avoid things and which things are still maybe beneficial or, you know, I know that's like a, a deeply personal thing to sort through, but I know a lot of people in that space are kind of trying to navigate doing the painful thing versus kind of avoiding the painful thing. Yes. I'm so glad you named that because it is so unique to each person, but overall, if it's going to be something that escalates your isolation, then it's probably something you need to lean into (laughs) because you don't want to stay isolated, but you also have to be attuned to what's healthy for you in terms of your family dynamic or the dynamic with your friends. So knowing what leads to that, right? Like asking, is this because I want to isolate myself because it's uncomfortable or because it's really not going to be a good thing for me to go to this thing and see this person that's still like, is triggering to me or reminding me of a memory that I don't need to open up right now. Hmm. Yeah. Or maybe even um, as you were talking, I was thinking about if your family dynamic is like a, well, you should be over this, you know, like, so if something gets stirred up, it's not going to be a supportive environment, right? Like trying to think through those types of things as well. 
Right. And as we know, I mean, it's not only just how they're helping you honor your loved one's loss, but it's, you know, so many other family dynamics at play that your grief is only one component of. And so if, if that's going on and because of your grief on top of that, you need to step away. Okay. You can find a group of friends to stay and do Thanksgiving with, um, or, you know, do things that you need to do for yourself. But I, I do think there's a lot of nuance in it because you don't want to ultimately isolate yourself. So if you can still attend, please do, right? Like try to make space for that. But maybe within it, if you do go, have some options in place for ways to take a break during your time together if you need it. So maybe that's, again, as simple as stepping out of the house to take a brief walk outside or protecting time. Like if you're staying overnight, at a family function, like give yourself space to go and take a nap or go grab the coffee or be the one that offers to go make the grocery run, right? Like whatever those things are that help protect the boundaries that you need in the process, um, I think are pretty important. I love even the practical ideas you were saying there of, oh, I'll go get the groceries or, uh, I'll, you know, get there a little late so that I get to park in the back of all the cars. So I don't, you know, if I need to leave or exactly. I step in the bathroom for a couple minutes to recompose right. myself, right? Like even those practical things to where, you know, having, having some plans in mind for, okay, if there are parts that are painful, because that is very likely having, you know, some sense of like, well, here's some options that I could do. I'm not just going to try to pretend like it's not happening or, you know, things like that. Yes. Yeah. A game plan like that can be so helpful. And I have so many clients that are just dread the holidays for so many reasons other than grief alone, right? But how do you, uh-huh. setting, up, setting that uh, plan up, I think really helps you feel more empowered to know that you can get through it and you can do hard things and you can show up and still enjoy the parts of your time with family or friends that you want and need and also have some options to help you just allow some space for breathing room in the in the midst of that too yeah no that's really good well one thing that I'm thinking of as we're talking is some of the experiences that those who are grieving through the holidays not having a loved one for the first time versus someone who's has more long-standing grief um, are there some different things that you'd suggest for the the folks who are navigating the holidays again either you know, this is the first time, the first, you know, each first Thanksgiving, first, you know, Christmas or, or whatever the holidays are that they're celebrating versus those, you know, with that longstanding grief. Yeah, no, I'm glad you're pointing that out too, because a lot of people that I work with are adults and they lost their parent at a young age. And so in their mind, they almost never had too many memories, even with their parent. So it's, I think a lot of they often use language like, for me, I didn't get a before, I only got an after. When a lot of people mm-hmm. who are grieving can say, well, before, I used to remember all of these things that I used to do with, you know, your loved one, my, with my mom or with my grandfather. But for some people, the memories hardly exist, especially if they were a young child who lost their parent at a young age. So it's important to remember that some people don't have too many memories. So the ways that you're honoring 
the memory of a loved one who you didn't have as many memories created with uh, really is a different thing. So I would say um, rituals in general are the go-to. Like, how do you practice rituals over and over again that honor your loved ones? So if it is something that you did with your family all together, don't stop baking the apple pie recipe that was your grandmother's just because she's not there anymore. Still do that together, right? Honoring those little rituals along the way are going to be the things that help like summon your loved one back to your mind in the moments where you think you've forgotten them and help them feel very present and you're keeping their legacy alive through through participating in these rituals. Um, If it's a favorite vacation spot that you went to, still go. Uh, Go together as a family and, you know, make space for that. But if you are somebody that didn't have as many memories, then, you know, if it's the parent telling the child's stories and helping keep the memories that they had fresh and passing them on, you know, you're honoring that legacy and showing pictures in a scrapbook is, you know, this is if you were young and you didn't have those same memories, like you want to hear the stories over and over again, even if you weren't there to live through them. And that's another way of just keeping those memories alive. Uh, My aunt Kristen actually started a nonprofit while she was alive um, for young families that were facing the loss of a parent with a terminal illness. And it's called Inheritance of Hope. Um, And what they do now is actually work with families through anticipatory grief, right? This um, Mm -hmm. knowing that you're going to lose somebody that you love and hoping and holding on to the hope that you're going to have so many more memories and years of memories with them. But if you don't, then how do you go ahead and create lasting memories that leave a legacy? And um, I think that's such a beautiful thing that she did. And she got to see it uh, develop and grow for five years. She and my uncle co-founded it together. Um, wow. Isn't that beautiful? It is. I mean, and I'm, I'm really glad. I mean, I wasn't thinking about this, but even just this idea of anticipatory grief. I'm also mm-hmm. really glad that you brought up what this term is, and and just thinking about um, the the messiness and complexity of anticipatory grief, um, and even thinking about it through the holidays. But I love you sharing this story about how your your aunt and uncle had kind of elevated the the value of paying attention to and and walking alongside folks through that. I think that's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And my cousins, my three cousins were very young at the time at when she first got her diagnosis and to see, I guarantee you, she has a letter for them at every birthday. <laughs> like, and you know, oh she, yes, yeah. she, she really did embrace this. Like, how can I live with intention right now? And of course, not everybody's given that opportunity. And it speaks to how intentional we can choose to be um, in the memories that we're creating now and the rituals that we're creating now um, while we are here, um, just as much as they're the rituals that we know we're going to carry with us when we're not. Mm. Yeah, that is so good. Yeah. 
It is. And yeah, I think that that reminder to, to seize the moments that we are given and to steward them well and to be mindful of how we're spending our time with that sense of intentionality. I love that. Yeah. So whatever those rituals are, which I, you know, I think it informs the rituals that we're choosing to create just as much as it does uh, Mm -hmm. help us know which ones we're honoring for the ones that we've lost. Mm -hmm. So if it is drinking a favorite beverage, uh, watching a favorite movie, uh, cooking a commemorative holiday meal, um, making a gingerbread house together, whatever it is. Uh, My uh, family actually goes to Lakeland, Florida for Christmas, and that's my mom's hometown. And so there's a lot of lakes around, hence the name. (laughs) And so one of our things is to go and feed ducks. We would go and feed the ducks growing up as children with my grandmother. And so I love that that's something I get to do with Riley now and that I get to see the wonder and curiosity in her eyes and connect with that in my childhood self and know that that was a a special memory that I did not only with my mom, but with my grandmother. And, you know, it's just how do we carry on these traditions and keep passing them down from generation to generation. And I think that speaks to how not only we're so deeply connected with our own families in ways that can be so beautiful and sacramental, right? Mm. But also how we're so woven together into the family of God. These moments where we just see, gosh, this is something that my grandmother did with me. And now I get to see my mom do it with her granddaughter, who's my daughter that, you know, so whatever simple thing it is, I think it just like instantly widens your view and says, whoa, like there's something really deep and profound in the mystery of God and the ways that we are just passing these rituals, however small and subtle they are. Like these are the rhythms of life and mm. they're the the moments that just fill our hearts with gratitude too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. So speaking of like the kind of bigger lens of, you know, community and we're all part of the family of God, if I'm not someone who maybe personally has like an immediate, hey, I'm grieving through the holidays upcoming in the next couple of weeks or whatever it is, but, you know, I have friends or I have family that are in kind of an interpersonal relationship. Do you have any kind of thoughts or ideas on how I can best support or or walk alongside people in my life that may be going through grief during these holidays? Yes, absolutely. So the biggest thing that I always jump to, and I think it's a subtle shift in the way that we ask what somebody needs, is to ask like offers two or three specific things or times to meet and grab coffee instead of just asking like, or saying, I'm here if you need anything, like Mm. taking a moment and reframing the way that you say that, Mm. that really says, Hey, I'm free Monday, Wednesday, or Friday this week at 10. Can we go to Starbucks or can we go grab coffee? And, you know, being pretty specific about the time frame takes away this like weight of pressure on the person that is grieving to feel like they have to come up with an answer on the spot mm. because it's hard for them to identify what they need, even though they they want your support and they want your companionship and your friendship. 
Um, it's hard to know how to ask for anything specific because the weight of the grief can be so strong in certain moments that it's hard to say, yes, can we go get coffee on Monday at 10? <laughs> like you're not, if you're the one that's grieving, you're not thinking with that specificity. So I think um, if you're the friend or the family member that's trying to come alongside, offer something that's pretty tangible, like, hey, I'm going to come over and we're going to make tacos. <laughs> like what night works best for you? Hmm. Right. So yeah. it's here's what I'm offering and still giving them some space to have a say so, of course, you're not just uh, barging in on their lives, but right. you right. want to, I think it changes the way that we offer that support instead of, well, I'm just, I'll be thinking about you, which of course goes to a certain level, but in a way that's almost the sympathy versus empathy thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, to say like, yeah, thoughts and prayers, like I'm thinking about you, let me know yeah. if you, you know, that just adds more weight unintentionally, but it does, it puts more weight on the person who is grieving, um, to come up with the answer and get back to you and send you the, you know, the, Hey, what about this? And what's your schedule? Can you hang out with me? Do you have time for me? You start to feel more and more like a burden when of course that it has the complete opposite intention. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's good. Yeah. I think taking off that burden and being mindful of like that cognitive load of, of, you know, wanting to be supportive, but, and I think a lot of times folks probably have good intentions of being like, well, I, w- I want to be helpful, but I want to be helpful in the way that you really are wanting help right now, or, you know, just to be sensitive to that. But I think those practical suggestions of, you know, here's what I can do, you know, what time works for you, or, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's, that that is good. I, I, I like that. Yeah. Um, and as we know, I mean, if, if that's not the right thing, then they'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Feeling obligated. They'll say, well, right. actually, no. What about this? So it at least fosters the creative thinking of what do I need and allows them the space to think about it in more tangible ways, even if they don't have that answer up front. Right. Without the person grieving, having to think, well, I'd like to do this, but I don't know if that is what the person who's offering is wanting to do. Right. You know, yeah. Well, so uh, similarly along these lines, um, what about those within church settings, ministries, or just other faith communities? Like how can they um, be helpful or sensitive to and supportive of uh, those who are grieving in this season? Absolutely. Uh, We host every year at my church in Southeast Atlanta, a grieving during the holiday service. And I think we often hear of like a blue Christmas service, other services that just make space for grief. And our service at church is actually for grief in all forms, right? Um, Not just the loss of a loved one in particular, but I think that's also important to name the ways that we Mm -hmm. hold on to grief in so many different forms, right? It might be the loss of what might have been. Um, That is so broad, but we know what that means for us on an individual level. So just grief in so many different forms, grief with the state of the world that we live in and how do we just Mm -hmm. hold space for that heaviness. Um, But I think in general, churches can open up that space from a pastoral lens and we can do better, right? Uh, yeah. Remembering that 
in this season of Advent, as we're waiting for light, that's a longing that we all have and and the grieving parts of ourselves that we all hold on to in our own ways um, are looking for space in that season of anticipation and waiting for light that we can connect to that, that, that symbol um, in a different way. I love that. I think that's beautiful. I I actually hadn't, I was just texting or, you know, messaging with Robert in our little chat box that we have. Yeah. Um, But just saying like, that is such a great idea. I've never, I hadn't heard of that before, but I think what a beautiful way to not, um, bypass the pain that many folks feel during the holidays when it comes to grief for, as you're mentioning, like a variety of reasons. It's, mm-hmm. you know, um, grief is so woven into so many parts of our lives, but we don't create that space for it. And I think that with all the ways that um, the holidays kind of elicit some of these extra emotions, um, think that's a really good idea. I hope those of our listeners who are in a ministry capacity, I hope that's something they, you know, take into consideration. Yeah. 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 And, you know, winter solstice season comes with that too. So some, some churches choose to do a service that longest night and, you know, there's a way of offering to God our lament and asking God to hold us in God's embrace and to be near to us in the longest night until the light returns and morning comes. So the imagery is there. We're just not always taking hold of it to help um, people connect to the depth and the, the ways that grief is connected to that. Mm. Yeah. I think, I mean, it, in any way, and it does take kind of this intentional thinking, right. But because the, uh, the Christmas season and the like liturgical calendar, and even just like the new year coming tends to be like a forward thinking kind of, here's all this hope and joy and all this excitement. I think finding ways, if you're in a ministry capacity to recognize, like there's a lot of pain and grief that comes alongside that in a variety of forms. And they don't, that Mm -hmm. doesn't take away from the coming joy that doesn't take away right like these two things we can hold them in tension and it's not like this weird dichotomy because i think that's potentially what a lot of people end up hearing is hey all the songs are about overcoming and about light and about all the the new happy things and there's never this moment of like and things can be really hard and painful and so i think finding ways to like create that space to to demonstrate we can hold these things in tension i think is is Mm. brilliant Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even in the second week of Advent, when if you're, you know, doing hope, peace, joy, love, as far as thematically, like, if we're waiting for the Prince of Peace, then how are we seeing where God is showing us peace in times of despair and peace in times of suffering and in times of mourning and even, you know, elevating things like Psalms of Lament, that when we jump to the Psalms, even, you know, we jump to these celebratory sing praises, but there's a whole structure and space for Psalms of lament in the Bible that give us this structure to move through our grief in a different way to like cry out to God. Uh, Psalm 13 is like one of those go-to how long, O Lord, have you forgotten me forever? And it, then it transitions structurally into a, a space where there's like this journey toward hope. So you cry out at first, but then you 
say, but God, I know that you are good and I cling to your steadfast love and I, and I hope for your light to come. Like this type of language that reminds us that God is with us and offering that peace to us and, and is present along the journey. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, if you want to connect with Lanta, you can find her at lantacarol.com or at lettersbylanta.com. And you can find her on Instagram at lettersbylanta. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Lanta, thank you so much for joining us and giving us, you know, talking about this topic today before we close out. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, no, I've really enjoyed this conversation you know, words that often come to mind for me that I think are so beautiful and eloquent are by Friedrich Buechner. In his book, Whistling in the Dark, he has these words, and I'll, I'll leave you with them. When you remember me, it means that you have carried something of who I am with you, that I have left some mark of who I am on who you are. It means that you can summon me back to your mind, even though countless years and miles may stand between us. It means that if we meet again, you will know me. It means that even after I die, you can still see my face and hear my voice and speak to me in your heart. For as long as you remember me, I am never entirely lost. Hmm. So good. Isn't it so good? Oh, yes. (laughs) Like, just remember. I think that's what we all hope for. after we're gone, that we are remembered. So how are we making space to remember those who we have lost? And holidays are such a great time to honor those rituals and this practice of remembrance. And of course, as I say that, I've heard those words from Jesus. Every time you eat and drink, remember me. That is so good. Lanta, thank you so much for coming on the show this week uh, and chatting with us. Thank you. I've so enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note, if you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.